Father, I, I thank you for the apostle that you called and you prepared him for his life's work. And of course, uh, Jesus, you are the example of humility, meekness, selflessness. And you raised up Paul to be those same type of examples. Father, may we glean from your example, this example of your son Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul. May we glean the, the strength to be like them and you. And Father, as we read uh, the continuation of Paul and what he's going through going up to Jerusalem, I pray that you would give us just wisdom and insight how we might appropriate what is written here and make it our own, apprehend it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, two weeks ago when I was here, I, I told you about how the Holy Spirit was compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem. And there were three examples of that. And it's probably good if you're able to read those as I have you turn to them. There are three of them. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. After that is going to be Acts 21.4 and Acts 21.11. So the first one, Acts 20, verse 22, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to be there. <clears throat> and so the Holy Spirit was telling Paul, Go to Jerusalem. Not sure what was going to take place at this time, but go to Jerusalem. And so then the second one says, Acts chapter 21, verse 4. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And so this one seems that the Holy Spirit had inspired the disciples that Paul met with not to go to Jerusalem because only bad things were going to be there for Paul. And it seems as if in this text, the text is saying through the Holy Spirit, the disciples are telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem, which would contradict the previous text, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. The final one, Acts chapter 21, verse 11, says, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, this is Agabus, tied his own hands and feet with it and said the holy spirit says in this way the jews of jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the gentiles so the prophet agabus comes and says yeah you're going to jerusalem and the bonds the chains await you there so the first one paul says i need to go to jerusalem he just had this insight he was supposed to go not sure what was there but he was supposed to go the second one seems that the disciples are saying oh you're Harm is going to come to you there. Don't go there. Seems like the Holy Spirit is saying that. Then the third one is, you're going to be bound. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And that's your fate. So there seems to be a contradiction here. Of course, Sandy Capileta came up to me. And she said, you know, there seems to be a contradiction here. What's going on with that? And she read all three verses there. And I said, yeah, it does seem to be a contradiction there. Well, and I, I gave her the answer, but I'll go through it with you. It's this idea, or there's these views, that Paul was being completely disobedient. That he should not have gone to Jerusalem. Because the second verse that I read you there, Acts 21.4, seems to be saying, the Holy Spirit is telling you, do not go, this is going to be a problem for you. And of course the other two speak to the contrary, but... The first view is that Paul was being disobedient, completely disobedient. The second one 
is that people were misinterpreting the intentions of the Spirit of God. They were coming from a human perspective. They got information that bad things awaited Paul, and so then they jumped to a conclusion, don't go, because bad things await you. This is the position I hold. The Holy Spirit told them he's going to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen to him there, and then the people said, if bad things are going to happen, don't go. And then, of course, the third view, that the Spirit of God was indeed driving Paul to go to Jerusalem, even though the bad things were going to happen. And and so some people will take this and say, see, there's a contradiction in your scripture. No, it's understanding how the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is telling everyone in this case, Paul, Agabus, and the disciples there, Paul's going to Jerusalem. That's the place to go next. Hardship is going to wait him, uh, await for him. But our normal reaction as human beings is, if harm is going to come to you, don't do this. But God often calls people into a state of persecution, to be persecuted. Even now, you've heard this before. Uh, Voice of the martyrs, all you have to do is check them. There are more persecuted Christians, more Christians dying today than ever have been throughout the whole history of the world. And, and Pakistan and some of the 1040 window countries, they're killing people if they proselytize. They're sending them to their death if they just convert to being a Christian. You're not allowed to do that if you're a Muslim. So that, that would be the proper interpretation, I think, that's good to, to go away with. There's a couple other views, but I think it's just solid to say that if the Holy Spirit speaks, remember, do not let anybody dissuade you from what God is telling you to do because harm or misfortune might come to you if god is telling you to go forward just like paul we're supposed to go forward but remember our natural inclination is to avoid problems don't get involved in problems now going on i digress here and it's just agabus in acts chapter 21 verse 11 he told him that he was going to be bound and this is in caesarea they prophesied over paul and then in verse 13 Paul answered and said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Because the people were just going, don't go, just don't go there. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Oh, well, you know, that's the Lord's will. Just, okay, go ahead. We'll pray for you. Be warmed and fed. Just, just go. And of course, Paul knew what was waiting for him. And again, this is, a, this is an act of complete surrender. He was willing to go to jail and he was willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Now, it, it wasn't just the gospel. It was the prompting of the Holy Spirit being obedient to Jesus Christ that he was going to go and say, okay, I'm ready, whatever the case is. And we know from uh, the other letters he's written, it's better for him to depart and be with the Lord, but he's going to remain for the sake of the people here. But if it's his time, okay, that's nothing but a win because he gets to go and be with the Lord. And this idea of let the Lord's will be done, we often do not use that as a refrain. We don't say, well, if it's the Lord's will, you know, We'll go ahead and do this. And this is reiterated for us in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. James exhorted the people he was writing to. He says, now listen, you who say tomorrow, excuse me, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you 
not even know or you, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes instead you ought to say if it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or that as it is you boast and brag all such boasting is evil and so if we get a mind that says I'm going to go and do this we should always preface it by saying the Lord willing I'm going to go and do this. I remember uh, one of the first sections of scripture I memorized and some verses in was Proverbs. And the plans of the heart belong to man, but the Lord determines the steps. And so we can make plans all day long of what we'd like to do. But remember, it's the Lord that says, no, I don't think so. You're going to go in another direction. This is my will for you. And when it changes like that, I think we need to do what the believers did here with Paul. Oh, well, Lord's will be done. And not get all disappointed and set to the side like, oh, I had my heart set on doing this and now it's not happening. How many disappointments have you guys had in your lives that you wanted to do something, wanted to go somewhere, and the Lord said, nope, you're not going to do that. Now I have a personal testimony about that. Uh, when I was very young, just an infant, my mother said I really got sick, very sick. And it was with the flu, and I was going to the doctor a couple of times. And as a result of that sickness, and it was ear infection, you know, common thing for infants, and along with that, the runny nose and the coughing. And because of that, I lost some hearing in my left ear. Just enough. Now, it's great now because I can put the good ear to the pillow, fall asleep, not hear a thing. It's wonderful. <laughs> there are some drawbacks to that, but it, there's some pluses as well. Well, when I was going through school, you guys know the Apollo program. Every young boy wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to fly. I wanted to do F-16s. I wanted to go fast. I wanted the Gs. I, that's all I thought about. And as I started going through school, you know, I even went and checked with a recruiter. And I, I went to go see the Navy recruiter. And he wasn't there. And Sergeant Gustafson of the United States Marine Corps said, well, Mr. Botker, we can get you enlisted and get you a pilot's license. You just sign up with us. It'll be fine. I said, no, I have my heart set on being a pilot. Well, when I finally talked to somebody, they said, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that because you got a hearing deficiency in your left ear. I said, Lord, what are you doing? You know, this was my plan. I'm going in this direction. He changed my plan. And I said, okay, well, how about civil engineering I'll, I'll, I'll do civil engineering math I like math I can go ahead and do that I got involved in it and I, I, I stick in the math classes and everything and and then I found out what it entailed and it's mostly desk work and I thought I don't want to do that and my heart changed and the very thing that I didn't want to do that I knew I didn't want to do was be a gardener I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a landscaper. I, I hated it. My dad did it. He stuck us on hills pulling weeds. And I can remember sitting there going, I hate this, pulling out the weeds. And the Lord changed my heart. And after that, he said, or I said, I love pulling weeds. This I could do this all day long. And so not only 
did the Lord interrupt me from what my plan was. He changed my heart on the civil engineering and he bumped me into landscaping. And if he had not have done that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have married Patty. I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't, yeah, you can clap for that one. That's good. I, I wouldn't have any of that. And the Lord, you probably have a similar story where the Lord has put you some people would say in a rut some people would say on a path where you thought it would be different but the Lord has selected you for a particular purpose and you don't have to be disappointed if you belong to the Lord he has meant to get you there from the very beginning and so you can end up being a blessing to others as well as to yourself your family members all of that and so this is what happened to Paul Remember, he, he wanted to go uh, east, and the Lord said, no, through a dream, a vision he had, go to Macedonia. And so he went to Macedonia. The Lord was guiding him. Now he says, go to Jerusalem. And, and that's how the Lord works. And we need to allow him to be sovereign in this and not get upset when he doesn't move us in the direction that we desire to go. Now, going on in verse 15 here we see Paul, he's going to honor some Jewish customs among the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. Verse 15 says, After this we got ready and went to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nathan, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Now chances are it was on Paul's first missionary journey. He set off for the island of Cyprus. This guy got saved and of course he had moved when they went to Caesarea uh, he was there and they stayed with him going on in verse 17 when we arrived at Jerusalem the brothers received us warmly the next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present and this is another hint that James not Peter was the head of the church in Jerusalem Uh, I know that some Catholic brothers and sisters like to say that Peter was the first pope. He was the one in charge. No, it was James who seemed to be the lead pastor, the head pastor in Jerusalem. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. So Paul was responsible for thousands of people coming to faith with with his three missionary journeys. Verse 21 says, They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. The Jews were a homogeneous people. They had the same customs they were bound by the law they honored the same sabbaths the same festivals all of that as americans we have our own customs right our customs are christmas easter thanksgiving halloween people all already have their stuff out uh, even though it's over a month away We, we also have our lesser holidays like labor day and memorial day and even Sunday church. These are our customs. This is what we do. We get into a habit. We get into a routine. And there's these customs. They are also known as traditions. Um, as I said, a routine. And we have personal customs and traditions. 
We have birthdays. We have anniversaries. We have graduations. Uh, for me and my family, Christmas time, you know this. We go to sombreros and get burritos after Christmas Eve service. And we take them home. And I have a burrito. Everybody else has something else from sombreros. That's what we do. Uh, at the day after Thanksgiving, what we do in our household is we make cookies hundreds of cookies and we lay them all out and the family all comes in and we sit there and decorate the cookies and put the little christmas balls on them and decorate them and eat half of them and send out the rest to everybody else that's what we do and we get our christmas tree uh, the day after thanksgiving as well and and we all come together and we, that's our tradition as a family so we have these practices now if somebody in our family came up and said I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. We might consider it, but then we'd hold them down, suffocate them until they relented, and we'd let them. <clears throat> but we have our traditions. Well, the same thing with the Jews. The Jews have their traditions. They are unwilling to give them up. Now, one tradition that is not in the scriptures that Jesus would have separated, or separated, would have celebrated, was the Feast of Purim. Feast of Purim, if you remember Esther, Queen Esther, her and Mordecai, her uncle, they were able to save the Jews by what they did from the evil um, uh, Haman. And Haman wanted to hang Mordecai. You remember the story, right? And so every year for two days, they celebrate the Feast of Purim. It's not in the scripture that they had to celebrate it, but it was a custom. There are other customs that they had. For instance, Zechariah. You know, when uh, Jesus was brought to the temple, or excuse me, I back up. When Zechariah was chosen according to the lot uh, of a priesthood, that was their custom to serve in the temple, to fill up the candle uh, stick that was up there with the oil and change the showbread that was up there and, and make sure the incense is right. It was handed to the Levites to do that. Zechariah was part of that. That was their custom. And of course, he went in and when he came out, he wasn't able to speak because his wife was uh, going to be pregnant and the name of the son was going to be John and all of that and his, his tongue was loose. But it was the custom to cast lots for the service in the temple. And that goes all the way back to King David. He set all that stuff up. And then also Jesus, when he was presented on the eighth day at the temple, remember uh, Mary and Joseph, Jesus was born in what city? Bethlehem. And he had to travel. They had to travel, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, to the temple on the eighth day to get Jesus circumcised. How many of you ladies would like to travel with a newborn baby right after having it and getting to Jerusalem? Probably walking the whole way. After birthing a baby. Some tough women back then. I don't know if the women today could do that, but that's what they did. According to the custom bringing the child and circumcising him on the eighth day. And of course, this is something that was to be done scripturally. It was in the law. This is a custom. Also, the custom taught by Moses of circumcision, but the custom goes all the way back to Abraham before the law of Moses, that every child was to be circumcised. And so these are the customs, both in the law and outside the law, that Paul is being accused of telling the Jews you don't have to follow. Now, specifically circumcision, if you did not follow circumcising your children, you were to be, quote, cut off from your people, which means you were cut off from the covenant people. 
the covenant that had been made between God and a specific race of people. If you were cast out of that, you were cast out of the covenant and you were cast out of fellowship with God. That's how serious it was. And God actually says this in Scripture. It says in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 27, it talks about eating of blood as well. Those who eat blood must be cut off from their people. If you were to cut off uh, from your people, the Jews, you would be cut off from the covenant. You'd be cut off from God. And also Genesis seven fourteen, dealing with circumcision with Abraham. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So they accuse Paul of saying, you don't have to keep these traditions, these covenants, these customs. You were separated from God and you were not to have anything to do with the people. So it was a gravely serious offense that they were bringing against Paul. At least that's what the disciples were telling Paul. The people knew that he was doing. Now, was he actually doing that? Was he telling people, don't circumcise your kids Don't become a Jew. Make sure you do not follow any of the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Is that what Paul was doing? Well, I'll get to that. Verse 22, they say to themselves, what shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then anybody will know there is no truth to these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentiles believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And we already covered this in Acts chapter 15. Because remember, Paul was debating with the Judaizers about circumcision. So he went to Jerusalem, had it adjudicated, and it's just being repeated here. So why, why was this really happening? Was Paul saying, don't circumcise, don't follow the law? Well, I think that, well, Clark says this. Uh, he writes this in his commentary. He says, He had shown them that their ceremonies were useless but not destructive, that they were only dangerous when they depended on them for salvation. And I think that Paul would have taught them, look, you don't have to keep the law in order to be saved, but you can observe the law. You can go ahead and participate in the Sabbaths and the festivals and all of that. You can do that. But you are not saved by that. So even Paul is being encouraged by the disciples. Go ahead and take this vow. Now this vow would have been a vow of a Nazarite. And it would have cost some money. Because you were supposed to not shave your head for a period of time. I think it was, uh, I forget how many days it was. But for seven days you were supposed to be at the temple area. And you're supposed to offer several sacrifices along the way. Cut your hair and burn that on the altar. And it's just a way of dedicating yourself to the Lord, so to speak. And, and we have kind of traditions like this. At least in certain sects of Christianity. Like for instance, Lent. If you guys are familiar with Lent, it starts with Ash Wednesday, and they put that ash on your forehead. I used to work, do uh, some stuff at the grounds at some Catholic churches, and you know, around that time you'd see people with ash on their forehead. Like, What's the ash? It's to remind you of your mortality. 
you know, of dying and you're just dust really is what it amounts to. But also Lent, yours for 40 days, you're supposed to give something up. And what would you give up? And some people would say, well, I'll give up TV or give up chocolate or, you know, you can say whatever it is you want to give up. Well, that's kind of like repeating what was the vow of the Nazarite. You just dedicate yourself to the Lord, set these things aside, and it's like it's a sacrifice to God. Well, since there were expenses involved, Paul was encouraged, pay their expenses for these sacrifices, join in with them, and then everyone will see that you're not forsaking the law, that you agree with what the law says. And of course, Paul would just simply say, you can participate but they don't save you. That's just like for us. Anything that we do, perform a task, a work, it doesn't save. It doesn't make you more spiritual. The spirituality is on inside your communion with God, and as an outflow of that, the works happen. But so many people are so consumed with doing. Another side note. You know, I like to stop here and talk to the Jehovah Witnesses and bring out my New World Translation. And sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's not so pleasant. But Patty and I, we, we stayed in the town of Kona, uh, where I used to live. And I used to run into Kona in the mornings before work. And, well, we decided to walk into town uh, several days. And as we walked into town, guess who was out? The Jehovah Witnesses. Now, I didn't stop and talk to them. Uh, you know, it's like... I got this coffee in hand. Okay, you know, would, would it be beneficial for me to do that? And Patty was just waiting as I'm walking by, you know, and is he going to stop and talk to them? We'll be here for hours, you know. No, I didn't. So we walked past them. Not only did we walk by one station of them, but three, sometimes four stations of them on this small road. It was only a mile and a half into the town. And I'm thinking, I could. I could talk to them, you know, and, and tell them what's going on, but they're so concerned. They're out there because they believe that to be in good standing inside the kingdom hall, they have to be, quote unquote, a witness of Jehovah. And if you do the side note again, if you do a study of Jehovah, it's really not a good translation of the Tetragrammaton. Uh, the best one is Yahweh, not Jehovah, but that's beside the point. I wouldn't get into an argument with them about that because they wouldn't engage you. But anyhow, they're out there doing these works, thinking they're getting some benefit from it. And just their doctrine is terrible, but it, it's this idea of doing the works, being out there, being a witness. And if I don't do this, then you know, I could be excommunicated. I'm not being a very good witness out there. And we have that so many times in our mind that I need to be a better person. You know, we should be better people just because we want to be a better person as a witness for Jesus Christ. And certain things we used to do, we need to get rid of. Some things you used to do, you still haven't gotten rid of. And God goes, I know. I, you won't be able to get it right. You won't be able to perfect the flesh. Paul even said that in Galatians. Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? It can't happen. Remember the old axiom, when you become a Christian, you don't become, or you become, let me say it right. Let me get this down. You don't become sinless, but you sin less. Got it? That's the way it works. So all the things that you used to be involved in, 
a lot of them just go by the wayside. Do all of them go by the wayside? Well, praise the Lord if they do. I'm not perfected yet. If you are, give me the secret, whatever the secret is. I'd like to be perfected. But we never get perfected here. And as long as we turn to God and say, God, will will you forgive me? I haven't gotten this thing right yet. God goes, I know, and you're forgiven. And he forgives us. For me, even that concept is still hard to grab hold of, even though I know it says it in Scripture over and over. But I I think, am I even saved? I I haven't perfected these areas of my life yet. How am I going to do this? And that's where God's grace comes in. And that's what's so good. And the world rejects that kind of grace. So Paul decided to be selfless, to go forward, to participate in this, for the sake of other people. He was being selfless. He goes, okay, I'll do what you want. Did Paul know that he would be bound when he went to Jerusalem? Yes. Did he think it would be stopped by participating in this? I doubt it. Did he do it anyway? Yes. For who? The sake of the other believers. You know, Paul goes, okay, I'll do it. This is for you. But he knew he was going to be bound. And the very thing that was supposed to stop him from being bound gets him bound. The very plan that they had to keep him from being put in the chains got him put in the chains. Verse 26. The next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us, this man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place of course if you were a greek or a gentile and you were brought into the temple court area you could be killed chances are you would be because it was only for the jews to be in there even today now you wouldn't be killed today but if a woman decided the third wave of feminism i can be just like a man and i'm going to go to the temple wall that is there in Jerusalem to the men's side. And I'm going to pray on the men's side. You would have prayer shawls flying up in the air. Yamaka's flying, grabbing this woman, casting her out of that. And over to the right is the woman's section. And the women can go there, but not with the men. And they just oh, they get upset if you do something like that. And, and the women, you know, when they dance and stuff, sometimes they'll dance at that western wall at night. They just shake a leg. And the women are all off to their side and they dance with each other and the men with their curls and their hats they're they're jumping around and screaming it's just a riot to see that it's a fun thing to be there when they're celebrating but they keep it separate and if you were a gentile going into the court of the jews for the temple there was a court of the gentiles that you could go into but not into the inner area there you would be stoned they even hung placards that would keep them from being, or that would warn people, Gentiles, if they came in, that they would be killed. And so these people, these Jews here, more of the um, radical Jews, I would say, they brought these charges against Paul. 
And these charges are similar to the charges that were brought against Stephen. Remember, Stephen was stoned because of what he did in the witness of Jesus Christ. And they, they couldn't even figure out the reason the, the Roman soldiers would come in. They couldn't even figure out the reason for the uproar. Remember, they said, Paul's bringing in Gentiles. Well, there are some people, maybe some converts that were outside in the Gentile court. And they're, they're also referring to... Uh, previously in verse 29 Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city and with Paul uh, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area so they saw him they oh there's Paul and he's with Trophimus he probably brought him into the temple court area even though he's practicing this vow the Nazarite and the sacrifices there and they just threw up their arms and they started screaming and you got to get the context here when one or five or ten Jews started screaming and yelling, all the other Jews run and go, yeah, what's going on? And they, they're just all unified in their objection. That's kind of how the Jews are. That's how they were specifically back then. So the placard that was there, they were so against that that even the Romans, that was the one thing that they would allow the Jews to kill somebody for is if a Gentile went into the inner temple uh, sanctuary area, they would allow them to kill that person. They could stone that person. The sign that was out there said, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who was caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. So that would be a sign that would be outside the inner court that no Gentile was allowed to go. Verse 30. The whole city was aroused. So see how it started? There's just a few people saying, Paul, he's here, and he brought a Gentile into the inner court. And other Jews come in and go, yeah, what's going on? And then everybody said, oh, there's something going on in the Temple Mount. Let's go see what it is. We can hear them yelling. And so everybody runs in, yeah, what's going on? They didn't even know what was transpiring, what the offense was. The whole city was in an uproar. There's no way the whole city could know. They didn't get a message, on a text on their cell phone. They didn't get any of that. They were just jumping in foolishly, not knowing what was going on. So the whole city was aroused. But then in verse 31, while they were, uh, verse 30, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. So the Jews are going, shut these gates. We're going to deal with this guy. We're going to kill this guy. And then verse 31, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. At once he took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So Paul was just getting a can of whooping open on him. He, he was getting beat Silly. Now, it says they ran down. Where'd they ran, run down from? You have to get an idea how the temple court was set up at that time. First, Daryl, could you show the first picture of the temple court, the whole area with the temple in it? Now, this is a mock-up. I'm not sure if we're going to go to this mock-up. We, we might. But this is a scale model of what the city of Jerusalem would have looked like at the time of Jesus. And so you see that it's facing east. The temple is facing east. And directly from the opening of the temple would have been the gate beautiful or the golden gate. Uh, 
And that's where Peter and John walk through and says, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the lame man was pulled up and he got healed. And so that would have been at the entrance. Now on the far side of that is was also an entrance into the Temple Mount area. We're going to walk along that temple wall and we're going to see two jade pillars that align perfectly with where the temple would have been. Now, there are some discussions that, oh, the temple wasn't there. It was a, where the Dome of the Rock is. I think it was to the north up here and for good reason. Now, in this picture, you can see to the north some i'm going to call them little high-rise buildings right could you show that picture daryl that's the antonio fortress it is to the north and it is higher in elevation than the temple court area so it says the commander saw it and they ran down into the court they had access to that court so, and that's what's being described here. So you kind of get a visual of what's going in. Now, Paul, he could have come into the temple area from the steps, uh, Solomon steps down at the southern end towards the city of David. He could have come through the gate beautiful. He could have come from the other um, western gate. And there's also the northern gate. We'll see the northern gate, the uh, uh, Damascus gate that is up there. And, and so you're going to become familiar with these areas up there and whenever this stuff is taught you're going to go well i've been there i know where that particular place is so that will help you to have insight into the word so verse 33 going on the commander came up arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains then asked who he was and what he had done of course this is the fulfillment of the prophet agabus that Paul would be bound. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get to the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And the barracks would have been that picture to the north. That's where he would have been taken. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the, the soldiers. He was up, like, up on top, and they were carrying him away. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? And he's trying to, who is this guy? He shows up, the Jews get in an uproar, they want to kill him, but they think maybe he brought in Gentiles, and the commander here is going, aren't you that Egyptian? He goes, no, I'm a Jew. He goes on to say, Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, which will come next week, will read what he said to them in Aramaic. Now, you just got to get the flavor for what's going on here. Not only is Paul bound with chains, he still has the chains on. He goes, let me speak. And he says, aren't you that Egyptian? There was this Egyptian guy. They don't know his name. But he was considered to be a prophet. And he, 
he prophesied that the walls of Jerusalem would fall down if they attacked the city. He had 30,000 people with him. 400 people were killed when they went up against the city. 200 were arrested, and he escaped with 4,000 people, his closest followers. And they never knew what happened to him. And this commander is going, you're probably that Egyptian guy again, aren't you? And Paul goes, no, I'm a Jew. I'm, you know, Tarsus, Cilicia. That's who I am. And so he wants to address the crowd. And this is the reason God got him bound in chains to be in Jerusalem. He has a captive audience with the Roman soldiers there. He's addressing all the people. If you had a chance to do that, would you be willing to be beaten and bound in chains just so you could speak to the people and give them the gospel? You see how God works? You think it's for your hardship. or it, it, God's punishing you for some reason. And God says, no, I'm using this hardship for your good and for the good of the people. And they're going to get the gospel. So the next time God interrupts your plan, just say, hey, I'm willing. I'm willing to go wherever God wants me to go because he might use me to talk to one person that needs the gospel, needs some encouragement, needs some prayer. That's how God moves us. So don't complain. You know where it says that in scripture? Our kids have this memorized. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. We're just supposed to go with the flow. All right. The, the Lord has your life in his hand. And you don't have to worry and you don't have to fret. Let's pray. Father, we, we give you thanks. We see how you used Paul and he was willing to be beaten so that he might be a witness. And you gave him a captive audience that was silent. Thousands of people, the whole city would have heard. We thank you for your faithfulness that you reach out to all of us, both the saved and unsaved, that we might understand what eternal salvation is. And may this come to everyone we meet. May you give us the opportunity to share our faith. May you equip us, Lord. May we be in your word. May we be in prayer. May we be in study that we might accomplish your desires that are set before us. In Jesus' name, And the church then, amen. Please stand.